0: In Philippians chapter 1, verses 9-11, through 11, the Apostle Paul prays for the local church. In this particular prayer, he doesn't pray for physical needs, but instead is concerned for the spiritual welfare of God's people. It's an example of what it looks like to expand and deepen our prayer lives, and it poses a very important question. How are you praying for your church family? Listen to the Word of God speak as Pastor Lee shares three ways we can pray for one another. Do you pray for one another? What do you pray for one another? You see, the three verses that we're looking at this morning are a prayer that Paul prayed for the church not for the organization, who who is the church. We are the church, that he was praying for the people in the city of Philippi. And so we can ask that question as we enter into this text today. Are we praying for one another? How are we praying for one another? What, What are we praying for one another? Listen to what the Bible says again in chapter 1 and verse 9. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, typically, when a church gathers for prayer... Uh, for a prayer meeting, if you will. Someone will stand up to lead that meeting, and they'll ask the question, does anyone here have any prayer requests? Well, the problem with that question is that it leads primarily to a list of physical needs. Uh, what, What we end up with when we ask that question is, a whole lot of responses that have to do with physical pain and suffering. You say, okay, well, preacher, what's the problem with that, right? Because our bodies feel that, we see that all around us. Well, it's only a problem if our praying stops with that kind of list. You see, there is much more. For us to pray about than just physical needs. Now, let me stop here before uh, anybody throws anything at me and say that physical needs, challenges, heartaches, suffering, all of those things should be a part of our prayer lives. But so should other things. And as we look at these three verses, what you'll find is Paul does not mention anything about a physical need. That he actually prays here in a way that it speaks to the spiritual welfare of God's people. A lot of times when we pray, we're praying about those things that are happening externally. Paul is praying about some serious things that happen internally. And so as we look at these verses and we kind of dissect them today, what you will see is an example of what it looks like to deepen your prayer life. To to have a prayer life that causes you to think more critically and more spiritually about what God is doing in the hearts and minds of His people. A, A prayer that is certainly an example of how we can pray for one another. Now let's think a moment about what we've studied already. Paul has written a letter to this church 10 years later after planting the church. He identifies himself as a servant and uh, and he begins to tell them about how much he loves and appreciates the partnership that they had. Let me summarize it, kind of paraphrase what he says in the previous verses. He says to them, I'm thankful for you, I'm praying for you, I love you, and I can't wait to see you again. That's how he starts his letter to this church. And by saying those things, he really gives us an outline for what it looks like to have a gospel partnership gospel fellowship, intimate relationship. It it speaks not only to how he feels about them from a distance, but what type of atmosphere is supposed to happen within the church. One that is full of gratitude, one that is full of prayer, love, and intimate relationships. Now, in verse 4, he says this. Paul writes, always praying with joy... For all of you in my, my every prayer. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. So when we arrive at verse 9, we read a sample of what he is earnestly praying for those that he loves so much. You see that? He mentions in verse 4 that I'm praying for you always. In verse 9, he shares a little bit about what he is praying for those people that he loves so much. And so we're going to look today at, uh, at a list that Paul gives us. Only three things on the list, on the prayer list here. Uh, and it gives us ways, it shows us ways that we can pray for one another. The first one I want you to notice is in verse 9. And that is that we are to pray that we grow in our love. Pray that we grow in our love. It says in verse 9... And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So the the first request in this prayer is for love in the believer's life to be ever-increasing. For love to continue to abound. Some of your translations may use the term abound. For love to continue to abound in our lives More and more. Paul is praying for the believers in Philippi to never stop growing in their love. In other words, they had not arrived in their love, and nor have we. Someone once wrote it this way. Love never reaches a saturation point. You know what that means? That means... That we can never love enough. You've ne- you, you don't ever get to the place where you check it off. We can never love enough. Love never reaches a saturation point. We can always love more. There is no limit to love. I remember when the girls were small, be we tucking them into bed, saying prayers with them, and I would tell them, I would say, I love you, and they would say, I love you too, Daddy, and I would say, I love you more, and they would say, no, I, I love you more, and then I would say, I love you bigger than the whole world, and I'd do my hands just like that, because as little children, they would recognize that to be a whole lot, but what Paul is saying here is that love Godly love has no boundaries. It goes beyond the whole world. Agape love, which is what is written about here by the Apostle Paul, is specifically related to the self-sacrificing love Jesus demonstrate on the, demonstrated on the cross when he bled and he died for the sins. Of the world. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for just a moment. The agape love that Paul is praying for these believers to have is specifically related to the self-sacrificing love Jesus demonstrated on the cross when he bled and died for the sins of the whole world. When I say to you, Jesus loves you, I'm not talking about how he feels about you. I have no doubt that that whatever He feels towards us is right and proper and good, don't you? When I say that Jesus loves you, I'm talking about the cross. When the Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, it's not saying that God had an emotional um, uh, warm fuzzy about the people on the earth. It actually says that God, for God so loved, means the way that He loved. For God so loved in this way that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, love is one of the defining characteristics of God and His activity among us. There's some scripture that helps us with that. In First John, we read that God is love. In John 3, 16, that we were just mentioning, for God so loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We love Him because He first loved us. Love is a defining characteristic of God and His activity among us. The love of God is a divine love. It's a, a love that is personal, that is intentional, and sacrificial. It, it is the type of love that is to characterize our lives. That's why Paul's praying about it. It's the type of love that is to characterize our families, our churches, and our activity in a lost and dying world. It's a love that God has Put in us as believers. Romans 5 5 says, This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so when we think about it being a defining characteristic of our lives as well, we go back to the scriptures. The Bible says that God, that, that this, this is how that the world will know that we are his disciples if we have love one for another. In 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. The Bible simply says uh talking about love, but but if you have not love, you've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. It even goes so far to say this Paul says, but if I I can do all these things, but if I have not love, I am nothing. The prayer here uh, takes it a step further. Paul is being very, very specific about how he's praying in reference to the love of God in the believer's lives. The prayer is also here uh, for for ever-increasing love is to be guided and directed by knowledge and discernment. Did you see that? Go back to verse 9. And this I pray that your love will keep on growing. In... Knowledge and every kind of discernment. So, the word knowledge here uh, is the word that gives us the idea of experiential knowledge. You know by experiencing. So, experiential knowledge of God and His Word. The word discernment refers to judgment, like making a good judgment call or Perception or being able to make the right decision. So this speaks to uh, this speaks to the way that we are to practice love, knowledge and discernment. Uh, what Paul is saying here are ethical and moral guardrails for how we are to love, that teach us to love like Jesus. So what does that mean? One of the things that means is that uh, love, as taught in the Bible, is intelligent. It's intelligent because it's informed by God. And it is demonstrated in the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, love will make you do stupid things? Some of you have. Or, love will make you crazy. Well, that really comes from a worldly idea of love. Paul is not saying anything like that. In fact, when we say things like, love will make you do stupid things, or love will make you crazy, it's kind of a way of blaming love for making bad decisions. It's kind of what we're doing there. But, The kind of love that Paul is praying for the believers to have is a kind of love that is informed by experience with God and the understanding of His Word. The reality is Paul gives us a glimpse into that more uh, than what we've already read in 1 Corinthians 13, chapters 4 and 8. Uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, he describes love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking. You see the guardrails? is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then in verse 8, it says, Love never fails, or love never ends. That's what Paul is saying. He's praying for them, for their love, to overflow and to abound and to grow within the context of knowing Jesus personally and living for Him faithfully. What a great prayer. I'd like for you to pray for me that way. And I'm sure you'd like for us to pray for you that way. Second thing on the list here, is that we are to pray that we excel in our walk with the Lord. Pray that we grow in our love, but pray that we excel in our walk with the Lord. In verse 10, "...so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ." So the second request in this prayer is for believers to excel in their walk with the Lord by being pure and blameless. In other words, to excel by by living a holy life that is pleasing and acceptable unto God, one that's separated unto Him. So how does Paul pray for them to be pure and blameless? He prays for them to be pure and blameless by praying for them to, don't miss this, approve The things that are superior. Some of your translations may say excellent. To approve the things that are superior. So let's break that down for just a moment. The word approve here means to test a thing. To test things to see if they are good or bad. To test things to see if they are wrong or right. Before accepting them. Before embracing them. And the word things here refers to all the different areas of life. So like uh, physical things, moral things, ethical things, spiritual things. Concepts that we have to make decisions about, that once we make a decision about them, will affect our devotion to God. Whether it lessens, we can make decisions about these things in our life that lessen our devotion to God. We can make decisions about these kinds of things that heighten our devotion to God. And those things would be called excellent. Those things would be called superior. The word superior here is the difference between good, better, and best. It's the difference between settling for what we think is good enough or excelling in our walk with God. Now, I've noticed... Uh, Throughout my lifetime, people have different um, dispositions and different attitudes toward life and work. And oftentimes, you may run into people who are willing to settle and say, that's good enough. That'll get us by. That gets it done. Paul is praying against that here. He's praying against that attitude, especially when it comes to our walk with the Lord, to making decisions about those important areas of our life. He's talking here about settling for less or excelling at what is best. What is best for us is the superior things, the excellent things. That's what he is is referencing here when it comes to making those decisions. So to excel in our walk with the Lord is to not settle for the things that are mediocre, to not possess the attitude of doing just enough to get by, but to always embrace that which is best, that which is right, that which is moral, that which is ethical, that which is spiritual, pure, and holy. Embracing that which is excellent or superior, the Bible here says, makes us to be pure and blameless in the day of Jesus Christ. I love how Paul does this because anytime Paul is, is writing and he ties something to the day of Jesus Christ, he's he's getting our attention. Because he's talking about when Jesus comes back. He's talking about when we see him face to face. And what he's saying here is, I'm praying for you to approve the things that are superior. To walk with me in this way. So that when the day comes, you stand before Jesus, pure and blameless. Of course, that doesn't mean perfect. Uh, pure and blameless. Blameless means to be without offense. Oftentimes that was used to describe someone who had not offended others and made them fall. So if you were offensive, you made others fall. And then this idea of pure is a life that is unsoiled. It's a life that is distinct because it doesn't look like the rest of the other lives who did not choose the superior things. And so there's a lot in terms of love, and there's a a lot in terms of our walk that Paul is, is tying here to the idea of discernment, knowledge, understanding, approving, embracing the things that are superior Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 and 24 says whatever you do do it from the heart Uh, some translations may say do it heartily you ever use the phrase um, uh, that man boy he was working he he was putting his heart his blood sweat and tears into he's using it was his whole heart was in it that's what Paul's saying Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you'll receive the reward and inheritance of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. You know, to help us kind of understand what we're talking about here when it comes to making these kinds of decisions, embracing the superior things, approving these, these things that are excellent, there's a children's song that works really well. We're going to put it on the screen for you. And uh, does anybody recognize that? I want you to sing it with me, okay? We're going to start with uh, the first one, uh, and then we'll go through them, but uh, there's a chorus to it, so don't jump right to the second one. So uh, let's go through the first one first. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear keep on going be careful little hands what you touch oh be careful little hands what you touch for the father up above is looking down with love oh be careful little hands what you touch be careful little feet where you go oh be careful little feet where you go For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. I pray that you will approve, that you will embrace those things about every area of your life that are superior so that you may excel in your walk with the lord man what a prayer this is what what a prayer this is that the servant of the lord is praying for the church what a in some ways we might be able to say here and now what what a different kind of prayer this is than most of what we pray we need in our own lives, our families, in our churches, we need to abound in love. And we need to excel in our walk with the Lord. And the last thing I want you to see is that we are to pray that we are fruitful in our work for the Lord. It says there in verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, let's just read it all together so it begins to sink in. I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness... That comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The the second request that we just talked about was about the believer's walk. This third request is about the believer's work. It's important for us to note the order in which we see these in the scripture because this is the order in which you see this throughout the Bible. It's the, listen carefully, it's the quality of our walk with Jesus that determines the quality and the quantity of our work for Jesus. Walk before work. If there is no walk, your work is in vain. And that's the order we find it all throughout the Scriptures me say that again it's the quality of our walk with jesus that determines the quality and the quantity of our work for jesus think of it this way as we're we're kind of looking at this prayer because of the way that we are praying for one another so that's what paul's doing praying for the church. because of the way that we're praying for one another our lives are increasing with the love of god we are exercising great discernment, constantly embracing the things that are excellent or superior in our lives as we walk with the Lord. And as a result, our lives are filled with the fruit of righteousness that's mentioned here in the Bible. Now, I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss this point. It's not one of the points of the sermon. It's the thrust of the sermon. uh, We could preach about these different aspects of the Christian life and forget how the Scripture, how the Holy Spirit right here, ties these three things to prayer. It's what Paul is praying for. It's what Paul is praying about. It's how he's praying for the church. Pray for your church family to be fruitful in working for the Lord. The phrase, filled with the fruit of righteousness, references our works, what our lives produce because of knowing Jesus, living for Jesus, and loving Jesus. This, uh, th- these works that are being described here are morally pure and ethically right. They are righteous. Well you know the Bible says there's none righteous no not one. So how can it be that our lives would be filled with the fruit of righteousness? Well notice what it says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen apart from him. John 15:5 says I'm the vine You are the branches, the one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. So the emphasis here is on being in Christ, knowing Jesus personally, so that he is, again, remember, Paul is not praying here about things that are happening out there. He's praying about things that are happening in here. Well, if if we're in Christ and He's producing the fruit of righteousness in our lives, what does that look like? Well, Galatians gives us a good picture of that. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, these things... are evidence of the Spirit of God working in our lives. This is the kind of fruit, this is the kind of produce, the production of our lives as God works in us. But I also want you to notice how this prayer ends. How how it ends. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So as Paul's praying about these things for these people, which obviously apply to us today, his desire is that as these, these different things, this abounding love, this excellent walk with the Lord, uh, this, this great work that is being done, the, the fruitful labor that's being done for the Lord is all for the glory and honor and praise of Jesus. You know, that's, uh, that's something for us to think about when we pray. Because all of our prayers should be motivated by the glory and praise of God. So if you, want, if you have something in your heart that you're praying about, Uh, you need to come, you need to wrestle with the Lord and understand how the outcome of that prayer points to Jesus. Sometimes we just leave that part off, right? It's like, God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to do that. God, we need you for this. In your heart, you've not come to any kind of conclusion about how that's going to impact the kingdom, how how the prayer that you're asking for is going to push forward the gospel, how it's going to bring glory and honor to the name of God. And that's what Paul is saying here as he's praying for these things in the lives of the believers there in Philippi to the glory and the praise of God. Oliver Green, a preacher from... Many, many moons ago, uh, wrote a lot of commentaries and different things like that. He wrote this He said, The average Christian seems to want to know just how close to hell he can live and not go there. There's some truth to that, isn't there? Too many Christians are satisfied just to enter heaven's gates. But the desire of every born-again child of God should be, what can I do or leave undone that will make me a better Christian and enable me to bring glory to God? That's about That, that, that last part's about approving things that are superior, embracing the things that are excellent, that we know are excellent. How do we know? Because we're walking with God, we've experienced Him and His Word, and we know the things that are superior, the things that are excellent. Now let me close with this. Do you think Paul would have prayed for these things had they not been real possibilities? Sometimes we hear these things and we think, well, I... I believe what what I'm hearing, I see it in the Word, but I just don't really, I'm not sure how we can truly experience all this. How can we have these things in our lives? Well, I'll just say that the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God, and that Paul prayed in this way, expecting for what he was praying to happen in the lives of those believers, Abounding in love, excelling in our uh, walk with the Lord, and being fruitful in our work. Now doesn't that now think about that for a moment. I don't need to preach another sermon, but just think for a moment. Think about us. think about the church. if just these three things characterized us. Boundless love. ever-increasing. It's like, man, I I didn't know those people could love any more than they've already loved. It's just oozing out the door, abounding in love, excelling in our walk. Man, those people are living the right kind of lives. They are making choices that no one else would make because it's easier to go the other way. It's easier to settle and kind of embrace what the rest of the world is embracing. And their work? Man, the fruit from their labor? It's apparent they must know who God is. They must have a relationship with Him. These things, abounding in love, excelling in our walk, being fruitful in our work, are all possible for every single person in the room this morning that knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are possible, and they are made possible. What we're learning here as we pray this way for one another. Thank you for listening to The Word of God Speak, the sermon podcast of Pastor Lee Merck. We hope that you were blessed by today's episode. <sighs>